0: Welcome to Humco Learn, a lively and informative podcast where you, the listeners, get the inside scoop on the issues affecting the students and families of Humboldt County. I'm Michael Davis Hughes, Superintendent of Schools for Humboldt County, and the host of Humco Learn. For each edition of the podcast, we feature a special guest whose work intersects with education. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Humboldt County Superior Court Judge, the Honorable Joyce Heinrichs. Welcome to the show, Your Honor.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Super, super. We're going to start off by hearing a little bit about yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to serve in your current position? Well, I could
1: probably talk way too long on that issue, but um, the way I became first a lawyer and then a judge uh, was um, a teacher in third grade said to me, you should be a lawyer, which um, I'm not sure really when I think back was a a compliment because maybe that meant I was argumentative or I talked too much, but it was pretty um, life-changing, first of all, because When I was in third grade, probably less than 10% of women were attorneys. So she was really challenging me to step into a different uh, role for women. Um, But I always told people that that's what I was going to be because I adored her as a teacher. And I got two responses. One was either girls can't be attorneys or yeah, go for it. And both of those, because of the kind of kid I was, were um, motivating. Hmm. Then in fourth grade, we moved to Humboldt County. And I started telling everybody here I was going to be a lawyer. And that stirred me into student government and an expectation uh, that I always want to try to meet in school. And then when I graduated from high school, I wasn't, I thought, no, I'm not going to go to law school. That's not something really I can do. And again, a teacher said to me, you know, you may not end up being a lawyer, but don't ever self-select out. And so I stayed on that path. And in college, I thought there were so many things I could maybe do that maybe I wouldn't be a lawyer, but I focused on watching um, some lawyers in practice and decided, yes, that's what I wanted to do. And then, um, so I became a lawyer, came back to Humboldt County and uh, swore I wasn't gonna stay here. But again, people advised me, this is a good place to get experience. Met my husband and then uh, judges started telling me maybe you'd be a good judge. And I pursued that as well. So I really am grateful for folks that um, when they saw something in me, told me, um, and whether they really meant it or not, it it changed my life. So that's why I'm here.
0: That is such an interesting and reaffirming story about the impact that teachers' words can have in terms of a child's life.
1: It's huge. I mean, a school was very important in my family. Um, But teachers gave me more than, I don't think my parents could even see, oh, our little girl could be a lawyer or a judge. And it was other people who made that inspiration. And I think it's critical. Um, And I think the important part about that is recognizing that everything an adult says to a child can change their lives, Hmm. either for the good or for the bad. And and I think that's a really critical piece that I try to remember in my work as well.
0: Great. And we'll, talk about that a little later in the podcast and how um, you, you know, you're working to sex with education and what an advocate you are for children in our county. So you are the presiding juvenile court judge. What does that mean? And uh, are there some of those responsibilities that you have in that role that people just may not know about?
1: So a judge, a trial court judge, a superior court judge, has a job of calling one case at a time, hearing that case, and doing whatever they're supposed to do legally in that case. But the presiding juvenile court judge has additional responsibilities um, that intersects with um, making sure that services are available to youth in our community, uh, working with probation, working with education, working with uh, the agencies that deal with children, and try to um, encourage collaboration, um, identify, maybe help identify needs, Um, very much involved in the improvement. And I have to say that I don't feel like I've done enough. Uh, COVID, when it hit, there were lots of other moving pieces that changed, I think, everybody's direction for a period of time. I think as we ride ourselves, I'm really looking for providing that leadership within our community to encourage uh, collaboration, not only in the youth that come into court, but but doing things in the community to prevent youth and families from coming into juvenile court.
0: Mm. In thinking about that role and responsibility, how easy or difficult is it for you when cases come, especially in, in the, for, for youth to when the case is kind of closed or mm-hmm. that's been heard to, to kind of move, move beyond. I mean, do those things linger for you and how do you manage that?
1: Some of them linger a bit, but, as a starting premise, I say to myself, I didn't create this problem, so the fact that I don't have a perfect solution is is understandable, and that uh, if I treat folks that come into the courtroom or that I deal with with kindness and consideration, and even if I'm ruling against them, that um, then I'm able to kind of carry on with things. When I have a day where I maybe aren't as on task as I could be, or m- may have, um, I sort of rethink what's gone on and I could have done it differently or better. Then I, I, I maybe dwell on that too long, but I, I think that, um, that's all that you can do is hear people. And even when you're ruling against them to be able to, um, explain why and even explain that it was difficult, but that my job is to follow the law and, um, and that, That sometimes leads to results that may not be to everybody's, um, what everybody wants.
0: Yeah. Yeah. People often think of your role and the role of your honorable colleagues as interpreting the law, reviewing evidence, refereeing hearings and trials in the courtroom. But your service to the community extends beyond that. In thinking specifically about youth and families, what are the preventative or educational aspects of the work that you do?
1: So educational-wise, actually just put this out there, uh, the court's open for folks to come visit, kids to come visit, classrooms Mm. to come visit. Mm. And some do every year and some may not have heard about those things. Um, And so I'm putting it out there that they just have to contact the court administration and uh, we can arrange a date and they'll get assigned a court that hopefully is interesting. And they'll meet with uh, the judge and maybe other court personnel to know what just goes on day to day. Um, As it can be arranged, uh, judges go out in the community and speak to classrooms um, and um, so they understand what the legal process uh, is. Um, I work with uh, youth agencies and will come out sometimes and speak with them and uh, have talked about, though we haven't carried anything to fruition yet, uh, uh, with partnering with um, the leadership in Teen Court to maybe do something broader in the community and So we are, um, part of what a judge's role is, though it's an isolating role because you have to stay free of conflict, is to try to demonstrate the important part that the uh, third branch of government is in making everything work.
0: What is the most frequent reason that individuals appear in your courtroom?
1: So my courtroom is the juvenile uh, dependency court. So families come into my court uh, if there has been allegations of abuse or neglect for the children in the family. And so that there's a range of things, um, and oftentimes it's a number of allegations before they get uh, to my courtroom. I have called, and, and now I'm not primarily assigned to it, the juvenile justice, which is kids who've committed uh, crimes and they generally commit. We're very fortunate, and I should knock on wood, that uh, the youth uh, are not committing serious harmful crimes to to the persons of others. I mean, there obviously is theft going on, but we don't have um, we don't have a lot of assaults, uh, serious assaults um, in our community. And so um, that's generally how it comes in. What I try to impose on both of those groups, though, is that um, we shouldn't let our mistakes define us, that that you're there for something that's happened in the past that we can't change, but how are we going to make the future better? And some embrace that and others don't. Um, and our job in the juvenile dependency court is to sort of do a dual planning for a child. And and the best way I explain it is is that even as a parent, you do dual planning. You want to live for as long as you can and enjoy your children as long as they enjoy you and you enjoy each other um, into their adulthood. And you make plans and you think about those things. But you also, as a parent, probably should have a will that says if something bad happens to you uh, or the other parent, what are your plans for your children so that they aren't left adrift um, if something bad happens? And that's the same thing that the juvenile court does. We work on reunification of families. uh, But if that doesn't happen, what is the next plan? So the child isn't adrift for a period of time. And the other thing I say a lot is that uh, there's no child in the world that will say too many people love me. Mm -hmm. And so our job is to figure out how do we create a win-win situation for this child um, so that they who've already experienced so much loss doesn't experience uh, any more. Or if they do have the safeguards in place to be able to manage it in some way, in a meaningful way. Mm. And that's an aspiration. You know, I, I, I think that um, I do try to aspire to to those things. Um, and I think it's important to, to try to instill hope. Because my other feeling is, is that without the idea that tomorrow will be better than today... It is very hard to try to make uh, changes and to deal with the problems of the family, which, you know, deal with um, historical trauma, and addictions and other things that um, really are very, very hard to deal with.
0: Yeah, can you think of a particular, perhaps recent case that you that was a success? You know, that your intervention uh, made a difference in a positive way.
1: So. Um, I think I can. We have started recently, we call it Family Wellness Court. Um, it is uh, really a dependency, juvenile dependency drug court looking at addiction issues in families. But the idea is, is that we look at the family as a whole, individuals as a whole, not just solving the addiction problem, but where are you in your um, employment or education goal? Do you, the parent have some that have not been met? Are you dealing with your physical wellness? Do you have a place to live? Is it stable? So looking at the uh, different pillars of, of, of their lives to make sure that we're dealing with all of those. Because if, even if you're dealing with and successfully deal with addiction, if you have other things that continue to be traumatic or chaotic in your lives, it, it increases the chance of relapse because chaos is is part of those those things. So we've created both a state family wellness court and then we also have a joint jurisdiction wellness courts, both with the Yurok and the Hupa tribes, where we join with um, the tribal courts, their chief judges, and we work with their families. Um, there's, again, a lot of areas for improvement, but I, it's a really good model to be able to, um, to have families join together and understand that they're stronger together than, than as separate entities. And so... Uh, we have had successful uh, folks in that group, and they really have stayed and continued to help. So have a um, family uh, that the children were removed. Um, kids were having some school issues. Um, I think because of the chaotic part of their lives, that the children did have to be removed. It was very, very traumatic. Um, but the family participated in um, tribal healing ceremonies as well as then what they needed to um, Become sober, um, and uh, dad works on a fishing boat and provides for the family. Uh, mom uh, is looking at uh, either getting high school high school diploma or uh, or um, GED to then uh, look for work. But while she's looking for work, she's volunteering back into our family wellness court to provide to help be the major planner of our. We have a family wellness night. Now the families can come together and even if they've graduated can come back. So, um, you know, we're learning again as we go through, but really the fact that folks can connect to each other and do well. And the best, the other part that's really great about the story is the, the girls are excelling in school. Mm-hmm. They love school. Uh, they go to school. They're doing well in school and, um, and really see the family as a success and the children as successes mm-hmm. and, um, and, and have healed that you know, have been in the process of healing, which I think when you have all that trauma early on, there is an aspect that has to heal about that. So that the family wellness court itself, both the joint jurisdiction and the, and our state family wellness court is, I feel like a successful model that we need to do more of, but we also have families that have gone through that have really changed their
0: lives. Yeah. And so that's, those are, are the successes. Yeah. And that must be very, not gratifying, right? Um, both professionally and personally. What What do you love most about your job?
1: So what I love about my job is the ability to have a chance to make a difference in people's lives, whether it's in the juvenile court settings or even in the adult settings, um, that if we don't allow people to grow and change, then then we might as well just lock everybody up. And so, how then do we create systems to keep our communities safe, uh, impose safe consequences, and make change? So, the ability to, one case at a time, look at the case and say, can I? Can we create something that will improve the situation for the people, keeping in mind public safety, um, and the fact that um, not the other part, though, that's a challenge. Of course, is you never really know if that intervention because makes a real difference. And so then to be able to be in a community small enough where you can walk around and have, not too many people recognize me because they'll always say, I didn't know you were that short. But, um, <laughs> but they will have a story to tell about something that happened in court or in the process. And um, that always feels good. Of course, the people that are discouraged with you probably don't come up and, and say those things. But at the same time, the fact that you create an ability for people to change directions in their lives. They may may or may not, but you create that that vector that may cause that change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Juvenile system versus adult system or juvenile court, adult court. What are some of the key differences?
1: So, if we were talking about just the criminal part of those systems, so the juvenile justice, um, kids committing uh, criminal offenses, and adults, primarily um, there are some some offenses that are open to the public because of the seriousness of them. But for the most part, it's a closed courtroom recognizing that anybody can make a mistake. And in fact, when I talk to groups, I'll often say, I want whoever has never committed a crime to raise their hand. Um, And because everyone can look back on their childhood, there before they were 18, and say, did you do anything that if you were caught would have been against the law? So part of what you have to realize is those kids that came to court are the ones that got caught. And part of it is developmental. But the other thing is, is that if they got caught, is that because they're engaging in high-risk activity more frequently, Um, you do have to kind of figure out what what that might be. And so, but the purpose of juvenile court is rehabilitation. And so we don't blast your name out in the public. We give you a chance to to rehabilitate and change. Um, And some of that is overlapped into adult court, recognizing that if we don't rehabilitate to change behavior, then we're just having people come back in and out. But juvenile court is looking at how can we, what do they need to change? What counseling, what services, what needs to to do? And so, um, so that really is the major difference. The fact that that a mistake will not necessarily fall you into a, into adulthood. Um, there's sealing records get sealed automatically on a number of kinds of cases. Um, so and and a lot of cases don't even come to court. There's the ability to divert before filing, um, and so that not making everything a big deal because sometimes if you are a youth and you were had contact with law enforcement, may have been arrested may have been taken home that night, that act alone may, may be enough to change behavior in the future. And so if we keep keep sticking it to that kid who's already in a place to change behavior, then we're making things worse. And so it's kind of a, we take the ones, the ones that come to juvenile court are those that have probably other issues that need to be addressed. Some of it's not going to school. So it may be chronic drug use. Uh, there may be mental health issues. And so ideally what we do is we we get services around them uh, to change behavior. There is juvenile hall, which is, um, an, is the last option of things, but that if you can't not keep yourself safe or you can't not hurt other people, then we do have to utilize that as a space uh, to keep until we can hopefully change behavior.
0: Yeah. You talk about kids being in school. I know you and I have spoken previously about the importance of school attendance. Why is this something that you feel so passionate about?
1: So besides the earlier story about how I think teachers and schools just kept me reaching for the highest thing that I might be able to obtain, um, I think that school, first of all, gets you ready for life. You go to school, you should go to work every day, hopefully be productive in some area of the community. Um, getting ready to go to school, be productive is is good practice for what your life holds. But more than that, school, if you go every day, you become a member of a, of a club in your community. You get to see your friends every day. Uh, you get to um, hopefully like the adults you're interacting with. You get to um, have recess Um, you get to uh, belong. If you don't go every day, then you don't make those same connections. Um, If you think about it, when you go to a place where you know everybody, you look forward to going in there. If you're going somewhere where you don't know anyone and you're gonna have to work, you know, have to talk to folks or do things, that's not as pleasant. And so it really is this whole place to go, I mean, and my recollection, and it is you know sappy about it. School was super important to my parents. Was that you looked forward to the end of summer because you got to see all your friends again? Mm-hmm. You went to summer school. I think my mom wanted to go to summer school just to keep us out of her hair to some extent. But you went to school, summer school because your friends were there, and um, and and you were doing some fun stuff. So I think the hard part is is that if you don't go to school regularly and you get behind because you didn't go then you don't wanna to go to school because people might think you're not smart. And in fact, you're, you didn't get the same opportunities because you weren't there to learn. So I, I, and frankly, as a parent myself, I couldn't imagine once your kids get a school age, wanting to be with them 24 hours a day. Kids are exhausting. And so to give them a place to go where they can belong and feel good, then it's positive. Recognizing that, that there are kids that go to school, there's bullying that can happen at school, there's other things that, that may make school not attractive. And then I think we as adults have to try to change that behavior and give kids an opportunity to learn. Because I do think that a bully has issues that... Um, that you might be able to turn and address in some ways. I mean, they're overcome, again, not that saying they, rather than being below, not doing your math problems out loud or whatever you do, turning over a table or, or picking on somebody gets the attention off you not knowing what happens there. So I think, I think that understanding, um, and I do understand the challenges in schools now, but I think that that is our best hope for the American dream. Hmm. That going to school, getting an education, hoping, you know, really getting that aspirational uh, push because the only way to get the American dream, if you aren't, aren't already living it because you have opportunities, is by getting an education.
0: Let's shift from dreams to uh, civic responsibilities. <laughs> so I'm an immigrant from the United Kingdom. And prior to becoming a U.S. citizen, there were three fundamental rights that I did not possess. The right to vote, the right to serve in public office, and the right to serve on a jury. Now, let's talk about this last one, serving on a jury. From your perspective, why is serving on a jury such an important responsibility uh, for U.S. citizens?
1: So, having a jury of your peers is something that is unique to the United States, at least initially when it was created. And it was the idea that um, you weren't judged by people who um, had an investment or an interest in maybe property or something else. And so we have to have jurors that can look at facts and situations fresh and decide whether or not the people responsible for for the process. Law enforcement, the district attorney have done their job and done it well enough to provide, to prove the case um, beyond a reasonable doubt. And that if they're unable to do that, then a person should not have their liberties restrained in those ways. The idea, the concept that, and, you know, I think it's harder as, as people look at a serious crime 100 Guilty people go free rather than have one innocent individual uh, be found guilty. And a jury can take a look at that, can, can really test those things. And it's, it's a cornerstone of our democracy that we cherish those kind of personal freedoms. And that it is, we recognize a burden on people who are living their lives and have things to do. Um, but we do our best, actually, and people, my own family will say, why do I have to call every day for a whole week? And I'll say, well, if you call every day for a whole week, um, that counts as your jury service because you've done that and you haven't had to come in and sit and wait. Hmm. Um, The other part of coming to jury service, which sounds like a stupid reason and we haven't found a way to change it, is that when we have a jury actually uh, going to go, the defendant wants to go to trial. That's his his or her absolute right. That having a jury downstairs in our in our jury assembly room sort of makes that be the, okay, I get it. And, and cases may resolve because there's a jury waiting. And we try in those situations to go down and talk with the jurors and tell them that we understand they had something to do that day. But frankly, they, they provided a huge service to the public and to the court. Hmm. And um, so it is... Um, and we try to match and recognize that um, if you if you are you ha- there's hardships there's reasons not that you are can be excused from being a juror, but it's not convenience and it's not your employer's convenience. It is because it is a obligation of living in a democracy mm-hmm. in a free society, and we try to make people understand and feel that way. I know it's a challenge. I I hear it from my family. I've served on juries. In fact, I've served on two juries. Once when I was a a commissioner, and once when I was an attorney, and I've gone and sat in the in the courtroom waiting to get into the jury box two other times, and my name just didn't come up. Yeah. So um, it's it's not it's part of what we need to do.
0: Hmm. Thank you for that. We hear a lot about equity and social justice in our schools. In what ways do these terms resonate with you in your role as a superior court judge and? And how do you advance the work that needs to be done in these areas?
1: So on the state level, I was actually on a committee about courts and diversity and inclusion and equity. And there is a standard of administration that we have not started in this community yet, but it is looking at having a larger committee look at the court itself and how we do our jobs to advance those issues. I think you would have to be blind to not recognize that for the most part in our criminal justice system, in our courts, uh, oftentimes the folks that are there more often are those that do not have the same advantages as other individuals. And so um, making sure that uh, they aren't treated any differently, that you, um, the idea that justice is blind, um, so that you are able to not have those things affect your decisions as a judge. I, I think the reality, or not the reality, but part of what we have to look at is what happens in our communities. You know, are, are arrests made with the same kind of social justice equity? Are more people of a certain race, gender uh, in court uh, because of uh, any of those things? And I hope our court will soon I think that we I think we've got um, a judge that wants to to take on that administrative justice. That that if we can't have equity and social justice in our courts, then what is justice and equity? Hmm. And that's kind of a circular. I haven't really answered the question so much, but it is something that um, as judges we talk about a lot in our trainings and how then we can um, convey that in our in our court sessions and not fall victim to. Um, any kind of stereotyping that comes along sometimes.
0: If listening to this podcast has motivated and inspired a high school student or a student Mm -hmm. of any age Mm -hmm. to want to go into the area of law, contemplating a career in law, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, if they live in Humboldt County, I would tell them they should get involved in teen court. Um, Humboldt County actually had the first teen court in the state um, and it was all volunteer initially. And um, Judge Fergero, who's uh, since passed away, uh, just came back from a conference and said, we should do this, and got a handful of retired school teachers who cared about youth. And they pretty much manned the administration part of it and then uh, got volunteer attorneys to to mentor youth. And then when Judge Fergero passed away and those retired school teachers really decided they wanted to not keep doing day-to-day work like that anymore. the um, Boys and Girls Club took it over. I mean, we get that wrong, but they have created a teen court. And they uh, took the best of what Judge Ferger had created and made it better. They have it systematic, um, and so they're an excellent place to, to be. They also are doing some work with school attendance, uh, with I think some peer work. Uh, that I don't know as much about as I probably should, but they it's um, a great place to sort of look at things with hands-on. They'll get to mentor with attorneys um, and meet with the judge who's in charge of teen court. The other part of it is, though, um, I think the more that you're around it, the more you can decide if it's something that you're going to want to do or not. So um, happy to have folks come to court in shadow. Uh, happy to try to create... Um, connections with lawyers in our community. And I think there are plenty that would allow those things to occur. I think that, and I would encourage folks to be interested in being lawyers. Um, There aren't as many in our community as they've been in the past. I think that it's um, hard to be in private practice. I think that the COVID had an impact on our private practice here. And I think it is a challenge for uh, young people so I think there's going to be need for um, attorneys and judges and um, really that want to look at those types of things um, the hard part i mean if you're going to be a lawyer to to be big money, then you're gonna to have to stay in a big uh, in, in a larger area and you're going to have to work tons and tons of hours and um, some people want to do that, and I've got some friends that went to law school and still live that life and um I think they're insane, but um, but that's part of you can do that if you're a lawyer. So the thing about law that why I continued to want to pursue it was um, I was doing work study in college with a a attorney who was a a JAG officer worked for the military and was at a a depot that was run by the military, and he said to me, he said what the reason why I think law is the best job to have is that you get this ticket. And you can change what you do, um, change directions as long as you have that ticket. And he said, I'm doing this work as a JAG attorney. I'm going to do it for 10 years. I'm getting military credit for it. And, and I'm getting this experience in this area of procurement and other things that that he was interested in. And he said, I'll be able to take this ticket and all this experience and go cash it in somewhere else. And so the law, conti- the law that you're kind of law you do can continually change and if that's attractive to somebody then it's a it's a great uh profession to have
0: super before we get to our exciting lightning round (laughs) just one more question for you in your experience in the courtroom with families um based on that experience if there was one piece of advice that you could give our listeners who are parents or guardians of children and youth what would it be
1: so my advice would be to be consistent, that don't say no too fast. Uh, think about why you'd be saying no. and But if you say no, then no should be no. That that continual negotiation with a child, um, a young child, a, a seven, eight, nine-year-old, will turn into nightmares when you're dealing with um, teenagers because the lines need to be clear. Whatever those lines are, they need to be clear. Um, part of it is to keep them safe. And part of it is that the world is not a constant negotiation. So you shouldn't close doors to them. And, um, and if you do have to renegotiate a no, then, um, then do it in a way that you're not just caving in because, and, and the kids need to be consistent. I, I have said to folks, I said, if if there's a parent who hates the color red, a kid can figure that out. They're not going to wear red. They're not going to do. And when they bring a friend over to the house, they're going to say, take off your red hat. It makes my mom crazy or whatever. And they can deal with that. But if one day red is bad and the next day green is bad and the next day orange is bad, with that shifting sand, they can't they can't make sense mm-hmm. of what the world is. And so, so your job as a parent is to be consistent, so they can go out into the conflu- confusing world, what's out there, and make sense of it. Because you're going to be the, the the anchor that's going to mm. hold them. And without that consistency, you're not the anchor, and so they it makes it harder for them.
0: Well, as a parent, I'm taking I'm taking notes here, yeah. Judge Heinrichs. Yes, consistency. Appreciate it. Are You ready for the lightning round? Ten sure. Questions. Okay. Just first thing that comes to your mind in terms of response, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working?
1: So it has always been to be hanging out with my daughters, um, though they had times when they didn't want me to be hanging out with them. And now that they're adults and have uh, children of their own, it's hanging out with them and their kids.
0: Texting or talking?
1: So I text more than I talk, but if I really need to know something to get an answer, you're going to get a call.
0: Favorite day of the week and why?
1: So besides the fact that weekends are weekends, Sunday is my favorite day of the week if I do what I want to do on Sundays. And that is to make sure that I have um, meals planned and my calendar all done and um, my clothes laid out so that I can just make it through, know my week is organized. So um, I, I can only get to somewhere on time if I have all the things that I have to do repetitively already figured out. So Sunday a day of organization.
0: (laughs) Great. Favorite city in the world besides the one you live in?
1: You know, I love cities and every time I go to one, I sort of imagine, could I live here? And I almost always answer yes. Um, But my favorite, favorite, and it's sort of a corny answer is just San Francisco. You know, I'll go other places and I'll see and I'll love things about them. But San Francisco is my favorite, I think, because I know it and I can find things and get things. And the other ones are, um, as much as they're exciting, I can't see myself there all the time. And so um, San Francisco, I think, is the one.
0: Last non-work-related book you read.
1: So, um, and my kids would probably kick me for even saying it. I'm a very big Harry Potter fan. Mm. And... So I have recently read *Troubled Blood*, which is Robert Gilbraith, which is actually the um, name that J.K. Rowling uses to write her sort of adult detective f- fiction books. So I like it because she writes in the same kind of pattern that is comforting, <laughs> and um, but it's detective books, and um, and I like detective books too. So mm.
0: you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Judge Heinrichs is a Harry Potter fan. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Two words your colleagues would use to describe you.
1: So I think one would be thoughtful. So that's a good one. The other, though, would be um, messy or scattered. That's why I need Sundays to prepare, because if I don't have that Sunday to prepare, it everything becomes scattered or messy.
0: Person you admire the most.
1: So I think Robert Kennedy, if we were talking about sort of historical figure to admire um, and sort of regretting the fact that he didn't get to be in a place to um, count things that he was talking about to actually happen, I think he had some really amazing skill set that would have amazed us all. So... Um, like reading his quotes, like um, those things. Um, As far as uh, living people recently, um, the chief judge of the Yurok Tribal Court, Abby Abenadi, is an amazing woman. And um, her um, ability to always get up and um, try to make things better for her community and for her people is something that I uh, admire endlessly. And then I'm answering the question too much more. And then also I have a huge amount of admiration for uh, the Chief Justice of our California Supreme Court. Her name is uh, Tani uh, Kantil-Sakuwe. She um, has been the the Supreme Court Justice for uh, 12 years. She came in in a recession and kind of kept us all together. And then we had to do the COVID crisis, and then she opted at the end of her term uh, to retire. Um, and I th- think that that's a good thing to be able to model for others as well, and just feeling that sh- that she could do more, but also was a time to uh, let someone else take over the helm and do more. But she, um, and little known person, I suppose, to some extent, but she Um, created Keeping Kids in School. She partnered with um, the state superintendent of schools to do some work around uh, youth and staying in school and stopping the prison to pipeline. So there's a lot to admire. Um, So those are the sort of living folks that I uh, look up to uh, as well. Okay.
0: Sitting at the beach or watching the beach from a boat?
1: So... That's a longer answer. And this lightning round. I'm not really doing a very good job. Sitting at the beach really is the answer because I don't necessarily want to sit in a boat and rock around. But if you could could make my beach have grass, I would like it better mm. than full of sand.
0: Mm. So. That sand just gets into everything, doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> and finally, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers?
1: So this is the mistake of having a judge do lightning round. I can actually see both sides of that <laughs> question. Uh, and. And either would be right, I think, obviously, but I think eating them are okay. Mm. If you like animal crackers, then whether you're a vegan or or vegetarian or not, you should um, eat them.
0: Mm. You did a pretty good job of being impartial on that. (laughs) (laughs) Your Honor, it's been an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really look forward to the next time that we get to um, have this conversation.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be
0: here. Listeners, thank you for listening to another edition of Humco Learn podcast.